Thank you, Stephanie. Let's pray as we consider this text this morning. Our Father, we come to you again in prayer, and it's good for us to do such because it keeps us in the right posture, which is one of dependence upon you. We've opened your word, we've read it, um, but if your spirit doesn't arrive, nothing really happens. And so we pray for you to show up and um, work through your word, which contains power, just as your words at creation Uh, made mountains and made streams and made rivers so your written word the scriptures are building uh, a new creation the word made flesh is building a new creation with words so we pray that these words of scripture which attest to Christ would pierce our hearts and uh, bring about newness in us and we pray these things in Christ's name amen so, what, you know, what is Christianity? What, what's it about? What does it provide? If, if there's like one thing that a Christian grabs hold of, what is it? Is it that a Christian gets a moral compass for navigating life? Well, that's true, but that's, I don't think that's the fundamental thing. There's a lot of religions that provide moral compasses, and there are actually some remarkable similarities between all those, like don't kill people and... Be faithful to your word. Those kinds of things. Like those are good. That's good, good stuff. Does Christianity provide a way to heaven? Is that primarily what it's about? Well, it does do that, certainly. But I don't even think that's fundamental. Does Christianity provide a community? Is that fundamentally what it's about? Well, Christianity does provide a community, the church. But I don't even think that's fundamentally, primarily what our faith is about. If we had to boil it down, our faith is about, above all, getting Jesus. That's what it's all about. Paul in Philippians said, I consider everything rubbish, garbage. The actual, like a literal translation is dung. And we can maybe even use a word that's that's more colorful than that. I consider everything garbage Except gaining Christ. That's my treasure. Everything else by comparison, trash. But Christ. That's my goal. That's my objective. And so that should be our objective. You'll remember a couple of weeks ago we we talked about this. Getting Jesus. And we said, you know, when we share our faith with like a non-believer, kind of typical non-believer on the street, um, we might as well be pulling out, when we start talking about Jesus, we might as well be pulling out a dusty old box out of the attic and saying, look, here's my great-grandmother's dish set, and here's my great-great-grandfather's toys that he played with in the 1800s, and, you know, just dusty old, and they're thinking, okay, this, this Jesus, there may be something interesting here, but it's outdated, it's outmoded, it's passe, we don't have any need for that anymore. We've moved on from our Christian past. We don't need it. But we said, what if? You know, every once in a while, people find in the attic in those dusty old boxes something of great value, like a Fabergé Easter egg that was from the Russian royal family in the 1800s. Like something really big can be found in those dusty boxes. What if contained within Christianity is a treasure? We We believe it is, and it's Christ. And so getting Christ 
is what Christianity is primarily, fundamentally about. To know God, know Christ. Well, that was two weeks ago. That was our sermon two weeks ago. So if you want to know more about that, uh, you, you can go back and listen to that. Now, but there's a question that comes out of that. What happens when we get Jesus? What are the benefits of getting Jesus? And that question is the question that our text takes up today. So what are the benefits of getting Jesus? And we're going to focus on two of them. The first is that when we get Jesus, we become friends of Jesus. Getting Jesus means that we are friends of Jesus, and we see this in verse 27. The second point that we'll consider is that when we get Jesus, we get the blessings of Jesus. and we'll cons- That's verse 28 and 29. So we become friends of Jesus, verse 27, and we get the blessings of Jesus, verses 28 and 29. But before we get into that, a little setup is in order. Verse, verse 22, you'll see that it's the feast of, of dedication. So we're in a different, this is a different time of year than the previous section. Because we've been in the Feast of Booths, which is an autumn festival, like October, for, for months. I think since we've been in here, we've been, Jesus has been talking at the Feast of Booths. And all of a sudden, we're at a different time in, in, in the year. The Feast of Dedication. This is just before the, uh, the spring in which Christ will be crucified. So things are heating up. The stakes are, are ratcheting up. And, and, and uh, they're here at this Feast of Dedication. This is a recent holiday. Uh, it's, it's actually Hanukkah. Which, as you know, probably takes place in December. Right? And so, a little background on Hanukkah. Uh, it was only not even 200 years old at this point in history. Hanukkah... Feast of Dedication marks the the dedication of the temple. So if you remember from your kind of Bible history, the Jews are are, are constantly struggling with these foreign oppressors. There's the Babylonians that come in and destroy the temple and put them in exile. And then the Persians come and their rule is relatively friendly. They let the Jews go home. They rebuild their temple. And then it's not long before Alexander the Great and the Greeks sweep through the known world and uh, set up their kingdom. And following Alexander's death, all of kind of Alexander's generals begin vying for power. And it creates these little sub-kingdoms throughout the world. And the Greek kind of sub-kingdom that's over the Jews is called the Seleucids. And they begin to force Greek ways upon the Jews. Now, we don't have this history in the scriptures because this is kind of the intertestamental period. So you don't find this, but it's in the Apocrypha, if you've heard of that. These events are described there and in other places. So the Jews are being forced to be Greek-like, to not circumcise their children. If a Jew participated in the Greek games, the Olympics, they would do so unclothed like the Greeks, which was like big-time taboo, like... And so, tensions are mounting. Because there's a number of Jews that are saying, we're selling out to the culture. We can't do this. We've got we've to take back our, our temple, our town, our people. And some are more comfortable with kind of following the Greek ways. Well, along comes a general of the Seleucids, a commander, a leader named Antiochus Epiphanes. And he, his nickname, is a pun on his name, is the Madman, because he's kind of crazy. And he begins to disrespect the Jews big time. He goes into the temple. He dedicates the temple to the god, to, the, to the Zeus. 
And then he takes a pig and on the altar of the Lord he sacrifices it. As a statement of what are you going to do about that? Well, some Jews out in the countryside didn't take very kindly to that. A guy by the name of Judas Maccabeus, which Maccabeus means the hammer, comes in, he rallies the countryside, and they go and they take on the Greeks. And through intense battle and guerrilla tactics, they overthrow the Seleucids. And they gain their, their, their freedom again for a hundred years until the Romans come in, which is the Romans are in charge at this point in history. So this is all the background to that. So following Judas Maccabeus and his defeat, of, or his, his conquering uh, Antiochus Epiphanes and the Seleucids, they rededicate the, the temple. And if you remember from the Adam Sandler song, it takes place over eight crazy nights. Hanukkah. Eight nights of rededication. And out of that whole thing comes the Pharisees. The Pharisees said, we're done with selling out to Greek ways. We're going we're gonna to be Jewish to the core. So we're going to exalt the, the law, the written law, the Torah, and we're going to exalt the, traditional, the, the tradition that surrounds the Torah. And we're going to be locked in on that. And as you know, these are Jesus' primary debate partners. I mean, that's a nice way to put it. His primary antagonists in all of these encounters are the Pharisees. And they came out of all this history. So we'll, we're going to come back to that history, but that's, that's the background. That's, what's take, that's, that's the backdrop to all of this. And it's winter, it's December, the, t- the temple is on a hill, and so the winds are, it's cold, and it's especially cold outside the temple because it's on this mountaintop. And so Jesus and a number of people are inside the colonnade of Solomon, which was this huge interior area where people would come and gather. And it says, verse 24, that the Jews began to gather around him. Now that, sounds, that doesn't sound too bad. They're just gathering around him. But the, the actual Greek language is a little more hostile. It's, it's sort of like they're encircling him. They're like a, like a pack of wolves surrounding Jesus trying to set a trap for him. And they say to Jesus, shoot straight with us. Jesus, you've been... You, you, you've, You've been talking, but you haven't been talking clearly enough. And Jesus says, I have been shooting straight. And not only have I been speaking straight, I've been, I've been showing, I've been demonstrating what I'm talking about through the miracles and through all my works. I'm, I'm showing you what I'm saying. And the reason you don't hear is not because I'm not being clear enough. It's because of unbelief on your part. Not lack of clarity on my part. Unbelief on your part. That's the failure. That's why you don't understand what I'm saying. And then, drawing upon imagery from the previous section, this good shepherd, my sheep are my people who I lay my life down for. He's drawing upon this imagery, and he says in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. So, getting Jesus means we're friends with Jesus, and what does being a friend with Jesus mean? The first, it means three things. The first thing it means is that we hear his voice. His sheep hear his voice, verse 27. His sheep hear his voice. We, his people, hear what Jesus is saying. The Pharisees aren't hearing it, but the followers of Jesus have been, have been hearing. Like the blind man, for example, that was healed just as we looked at a few weeks ago. 
And why is it important that we hear the voice of Jesus? Because remember what John is saying about Jesus in his gospel? He's life. He's light. He's truth. And the words that he speaks, are not, they're not just words. They actually bring all of that to the, rece- to the person that hears them. They bring life. They bring light. They bring truth. They make a person internally cohere, right? The blind man hears Jesus and his eyeballs start working. He's beginning to like function properly. The lame man who's not been walking for decades, he gets up and he walks. Like his, his body's coming together and that's what Jesus is saying. My words have power to mend you together. But you got to hear it. You got to hear it. Now, so the question for us is, how does Jesus speak to us? Because he's not, he's at the right hand of the Father. So how does, how does he speak to us now? And the answer is, through the scriptures, through the Bible. Now I say that, and we kind of reject that right off the bat. Like, oh, that seems a little limiting, right? I mean, this old book, really? That's the only source that I can go to, to, to hear from God, to hear from Jesus? Yes, it is. What we, would, what we would like to do is reject that and say, and, and instead opt to use kind of our own faculties, our own reasoning, our own um, emotional palate to conjure up a God in our own image, right? I believe that God is like a teddy bear. Um, he's big and he's fluffy and he hugs me and makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Or I believe that God is like the thunderstorm that we had last night. It's, there's violence to it. It's loud and thundering, but it brings rain that we need. Or I believe that God is like a, I don't have it with me, a smartphone. He, he has all the answers and he's always kind of just right there with me in my back pocket. Right? Just kind of nonsense, right? The scriptures keep us like on track when it comes to thinking about God. The, the, the Old and New Testaments. And so, you know, I, I guess the question that, I, that we need to ask this morning is, are you listening to Jesus through his scriptures? Are you, are you opening your scriptures and considering what they say and reading them? And, and I know you may be thinking, well, but it's, you know, I, it's hard. Reading comes difficult for me, especially reading the Old Testament. I mean, the New Testament and Old Testament. The Bible, it's difficult. It's tough going. And you're right, it is, it is difficult to read. Um, and reading is hard, right? There's work involved. It's not easy. But it's important. It's important. Imagine this. Imagine you're on a date. This is like a first date. And you're sitting there. You're sitting across from one another. And you're just, you're just uh, gazing longingly into one another's eyes. Just really sparks are flying. Emotions are running high. And you're just enjoying this moment. And then... You speak up and say, well, I didn't grow up here. I grew up in, and you start explaining something about yourself. And your date says this, shh, stop talking. I, we don't need to talk. I just want to enjoy this moment with you forever. How would you respond to that? You'd probably think that this relationship wasn't going to go very far. Because if you're not talking to each other, there's no depth that's gained. You're just sort of feeling certain things, and that's it. And the relationship goes nowhere. And yet when it comes to our relationship with Christ, we, we can operate in that way. I want to I, I feel something of what transcendence can make me feel. 
But I have no interest in hearing God as he's spoken to me through, through this. I have no interest in that. Jesus is saying, my sheep hear my voice. Or maybe you say, well, I go to the scriptures, but, um, you know, it's, it's really hard for me to get any kind of practical application from it or any encouragement or comfort from it. Let's go back to our date example. Let's say that the date, uh, let's say that you explain your life story. You explain the neighborhood you grew up in and your parents and their, their relationship and how they treated you and the siblings and kind of the neighborhood kids and what that was like. You explain all of those things. Like, you kind of go on a long little discussion of that. And then the date, you get to the end of it and your date says, what's the practical application? I didn't hear any practical application. Or how is that supposed to comfort me or encourage me? I'm, actually, I'm kind of depressed, actually, hearing your family story. That's not, that's not how it works. It's not how relationships work. We, I, we don't have a family conversation at the end. We say, what's the practical application of this interaction that we've just had? No, you, you just spend time with one another. Sometimes it's monotonous. Sometimes it's mundane. Sometimes it's incredible. It's hanging out with friends. Sometimes it's just being together, and that's it. And when we open God's word, we're spending time with God. There may not come practical application or comfort or encouragement, but we're spending time with God. And Spirit's working in that. It's how, that's how it works. Let me, let me mention another challenge, I think, when we approach Scripture. Another challenge is this. We want to, like, get it right. You know, we're handling, like, a very, like, an ancient text, and we want to make sure we read it really well and get it right and we're so concerned about getting it wrong or like missing it or we read it and we don't understand any of it and then we're all of a sudden we're beginning to think well am I his sheep like I'm not understanding any I'm not hearing his voice in any of this am I his sheep the sheep hear his voice and I'm not and and then we remove ourselves we kind of grow cold towards the things of God because we're I think functionally we're treating our salvation as though it is the how well we do at reading this book. Like if I can get this, then I get God's amen. You may read this and not understand any of it, but remember, your salvation is not based on how well you can read this Bible. Your salvation is not based on your work, it's based on the work of Christ, which has been done for you. And so we come just in a posture of receiving and pray for God's understanding if we don't understand what we're considering. Okay, so that's the first thing. Being a friend with Jesus, this is kind of point one, means that we hear the voice, that we, his sheep, hear his voice. The second thing, not only do we hear his voice, but look at verse 27 again, something even more fundamental, and that is that Jesus knows us. Being a friend with Jesus means that Jesus knows you, and you, and you. That's what it means. J.I. Packer puts it like this. He says, I, I am never out of his mind, the mind of God. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me. And there is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me. And no moment when his care falters. 
There's not a moment when his care falters. Like parents, I know um, we have children, we love our children, we care for them. But even our care falters, doesn't it? We, we, we lack the ability to care perfectly for our children. We fail, not God. His care is unfaltering, perfect. Every night of your life when you've been asleep, his care is upon you. And you're oblivious to it, but it's there. That's what it means for Jesus to know us. You know, the Hebrew word for know is a euphemism for, for sex. That Abraham like knew his wife. And the, the, the language is intimate, personal knowledge. It's not just knowing about someone. It's like covenantally knowing someone. And that's, it, now that word's not used in this Greek text, but that's the idea. That Jesus knows us intimately. He knows our dreams, our desires, our yearnings, our wounds. And where our dreams and desires are off, he rearranges them, puts them in order. He fulfills our yearnings. He heals our wounds because he, he knows us. He knows what we need. Now, think about this. Have you ever been disgusted with yourself? You did something that you thought was appalling and something that you thought you would never do yourself and you did it and you thought, man, how could I have done something like that? And maybe nobody even knows about it. But here's the thing. Jesus does. Get this. The one who knows us the most loves us the most. Right? Isn't that amazing? That the one who knows not just that you were going to do those things, but knows all other possibilities and potential of, for darkness in your heart, if the circumstances were just right, knows exactly how you would act. The one who knows you unlike any other, loves you unlike any other. Isn't that amazing? He knows us, and that's, that's what it means, they're, they're, that, uh, that he knows us. Now there's a third thing, look at verse 27 again. So the friends of Jesus, we, we hear his voice like the sheep that hear his voice. He knows us. And then third, we follow Jesus. He says, they follow me. Which means, of course, that we follow his teaching. We live the way that he's called us to live. Live in light of his, of his teaching. Live in light of his arrival. We live in light of his salvation that's come to us. But it means even more than that. Uh, Frederick Bruner, a commentator on this passage, he paraphrases it like this. That we follow Jesus means we walk with and follow him. So we're not just following him, but we're, you know, you, you use the language of like, we run around together. Like in high school, oh yeah, that's a buddy from high school. We ran around together in high school. That's the, that's the idea. That the, that the sheep of Jesus run around with Jesus. Yes, they follow him, but they also hang out with him. If you want to find them, find Jesus, and they'll probably be hanging out, eating together, talking together, hanging out. That's what, that's what friends with Jesus do. So, again, getting Jesus, what does it mean? The first thing it means is that we become friends of Jesus, which means we hear his voice, primarily as he's spoken to us in his scriptures, we, uh, he knows us, and we follow him. We, we, we follow his teaching, but we also run around with Jesus. The second point, the second kind of benefit of getting to know Jesus, is that we get the blessings of Jesus. And this is in verses 28 and 29. 
You know, friendships bring wonderful things. When I was growing up, I had a friend who, um, whose father was a good friend of Ozzie Smith, the baseball player, the Cardinal shortstop. And so when he took me to the Cardinal game, we, we got to go to the parking garage where all the players would park and, and hang out in the parking garage waiting for Ozzie Smith to come out. And Ozzie Smith and his son would come out and we'd get to chat it up. See, did I have anything to do with that? Not really. I had no connections to this player. But I had a connection to the friend of the player. And that was, that was my way in. That unlocked access. A special access. And that's what friendship with Jesus does. It brings the blessings of Jesus. So, and, and again, this is what Jesus says. Um, Jesus, being friends with Jesus, who is life... Gives us, verse 28, life. We get life, eternal life, abundant life in Christ. I give them eternal life, is what, he, is what Jesus says. But not just do we get abundant, rich, full life. We also get security. Look at verse 28 again. And no one, and here, this, it, doesn't, it doesn't read like this in your text... But I, I think a paraphrase could go like this. No one will never, ever snatch my sheep from my hand. No one can take us away from Christ. Security. And look at verse 29. Jesus double downs on the point. Look at what he says. Um, and again, this is kind of a paraphrase. This is, this is really an important thing to pick up on. Look, the people my father has given me are greater than anything on earth. Now that's not what your text says, but I think that's what it's actually saying. It says that my father who has given me is greater than all, like the father's greater than all. But I don't, that's not the best way to read it. What Jesus is saying is, the people, my sheep that God has given me, are greater than anything on earth. And as a result, no one will snatch them from me. Like what, what do you cherish and what do you prize above all? What do you treasure? And don't you hang on to that thing with a death grip? Don't you protect it and ponder over it, think about it? That's how it works. And, and God, Jesus is saying, my sheep are my most treasured possession on earth. There's nothing greater than them. In all the cosmos, my church, my people are my most treasured possession. And as a result, me and my father have a death grip on them. Not to kill them, to protect them. Nobody can get them out of my, out of, out of, uh, my hand. They're secure. So what are the blessings of getting Jesus? Life, and life abundant, eternal life, and security. And isn't that what we all ultimately long for? Think of all the ads that we see. I, I was pondering this this week. I'd be curious to know if you can think of an exception. I can't think of an ad that doesn't appeal to either life or security. Right? Think of the... The beer ad where the, the, the people are hanging, they're at the beach and it's kind of slow and then they open up a bottle of beer and all of a sudden there's volleyballs bouncing around and people are laughing and hanging out and cheersing each other and they're, it's just, a, it's, just a, it's life. They, they've, they found life, abundant life, the kind of life we want. Or think about the tire commercial and the tire hits the pavement and the rain's coming down and the tire's like perfectly filtering the water as if it's not even there. Security. That's what this tire brings you. Security. Safety. 
Or the antidepressant, you're, uh, you're sitting, it's cloudy, and you're depressed, and you have no motivation, and all of a sudden you get this antidepressant in your system, and all of a sudden the clouds clear, and the music starts, it's a beautiful morning, and you come out, and you get to life. It's life! That's what the antidepressant's providing. Life, abundant life. Or insurance ads. How many insurance ads? Security. Right? By, you're in good hands with this company. If you just get this insurance. Life. Security. Jesus is saying, I offer life. I am your creator and I offer you life. And not only that, I offer you security. You're in, you're in good hands with me. right? You, nothing can take you out of my hand. My sheep. Okay, now remember, I want, us to, I want us to notice something. This is important. Jesus is talking to those who are primarily, the, 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 the people he's immediately like speaking with are not his sheep. And I want you to notice something really important. Remember, we said the Jews are encircling Jesus like a pack of wolves. They, they smell blood and they want it, and as if we... We didn't think so. What happens at the end of the passage that we have? They pick up stones and they want to they kill him. So they, they smell blood and they want to kill him. And does Jesus get... And he knows what's in their heart, right? We've learned that already in this Gospel of John. And yet, he's not being driven to cynicism. He's not jaded. He's not getting bitter and storming off in a huff. He's continuing to do what he's done this whole gospel issue, life, words of life, words of encouragement, words of his love to his sheep. He's, he does not flinch in the face of this. And notice again, verse 31, they pick up stones. They want to stone him. Life is right before them. Life who is also issuing life with his words the one who is actually sustaining them by the power of his word. That's what Hebrews says, that Jesus speaks. He's continuing to speak us into existence. If he was to stop speaking, we, the whole universe would vanish. That's what the author of Hebrews says. So he's sustaining them with his word, and they want to kill him. Isn't, isn't that a contradiction? They want to kill life. Not only that, he's speaking words of truth to them. And what do they call him? A blasphemer. A liar. They're calling him a liar. And here's the thing. Remember, these are the descendants of the Maccabean revolt. Remember at the beginning? Um, where they upset at Antiochus Epiphanes for sacrificing a pig and desecrating the temple. And remember what John has been saying all along? Who's the real temple? It's Jesus. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Right? Jesus is the temple. And here these these. Pharisees and Jewish leaders are desecrating him. They're calling him a blasphemer and they want to kill him. Right? Do you see the, the irony, the tragedy, the contradiction, the conflict? And this is what life without Jesus does. We've said it before. It makes us a bundle of contradictions. Because to the extent that you turn your back on life and truth and light... You move further into falsehood, into a sea of lies, further and further towards death, further and further into the darkness. That's the, that's the choice. That's, you, that, you either embrace Jesus and move towards life, 
or you reject Jesus and you move towards your own death. You, you buckle up on the fast track to Jupiter, as we talked about a few weeks ago. Not towards home, not towards life. Do you see the treasure that is Jesus? The benefits of getting him? The life, security? We become friends with Jesus and we get life from him and security from him. And the way that Christianity frames itself is relationship. That Jesus went all the way to the cross for you to die for your sins. That's, that's the degree to which he went. That he's the good shepherd, right? He lays his life down for the sheep. He laid his life down so that he could acquire this sheep, his church. And so the canopy for Christianity is relationship. That's what it is. And that, that has a lot of implications. If, you wanna, if you're on the outside of the canopy of, of relationship that Christianity has, and you're trying to like kind of argue your way or sort of create a nice airtight argument for getting into the faith, I don't know that it will work. You've got to get inside the canopy, inside the relationship with Jesus. And then over time, over decades, he begins to show you the truthfulness of him, that he is the truth. Now, we've been in the Heidelberg Catechism uh, for, almost, for some time now. And uh, remember the first question, what is your only comfort in life and death? In, in life, in death, what's your only comfort? And the answer is, it's a beautiful answer to that. And it's almost as if they were looking at this passage as they formulated that answer, these Heidelberg um, writers. L listen, listen to the answer. What is your only comfort in life and death? The answer, that I, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He's fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. This is, this is something of what it means to get Jesus, right? When we get Jesus, we become friends of Jesus, and he gives us the benefits of being friends with him. He, gives, he bestows upon us life, not just for the age to come, but even for this age, for this, for this world that's passing away, we can live more fully in this world in our relationship with Christ. Not even to speak of the glory that's to come. And we get a security that comes with that, that nothing can take us away. The most powerful being, the one who gives rise to everything, is dead set on protecting his people. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word power that it contains and we ask again that your spirit would be present unleashing its power in our midst we pray in the name of Jesus amen